Good morning. I am so grateful once again for an incredible time of worship. I really appreciate our praise team. And I remember not too long ago, David sang that song, Beautiful, for the first time on Wednesday night. And it's just grown to be one of my favorites. Imagine a time when death is a memory. When death is a memory. When everything that right now, when everything right now that is hurting you, it's a broken body, it's a broken marriage, it's a broken dream, and life is so difficult, loss of loved ones, loss of health, loss of, of, of fortune, and all that is a distant memory. And that's the hope of Jesus Christ. That's why we've got to be about what God wants us to be about. In less than 50 days, we'll be elected a new president. Hot topic. I, was, I, I want to tell you, I, I heard on the radio yesterday that on October the 7th, there's freedom in the pulpit day. And I was listening to that. And they're encouraging pastors to, to speak on the issues and I, I essentially tell people how to vote. I'm not going to tell you how to vote, but I'm going to tell you how to get saved. Amen? And I, I'm going to tell you how we need to live in this culture today. And our culture's messed up. Just like you saw there, our culture's messed up. We live in a country that still prints in God we trust on its money, but the truth is America does not trust in God. Uh, we, we live in a culture today that, that we still say the pledge, one nation under God, and we are not one nation under God. But the question is this, what do we do about that? What do we do about that? And again, if you're hanging your hopes on the results of November, I want you to know something, you know, that's not much to hang your hope on. Because our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. The hope for America is found in Jesus Christ. You don't need me to read you a bunch of statistics to tell you that we live in a crazy, mixed-up world called American culture. I... I turn to the Word of God and a very powerful scripture. And once again, let this familiar scripture speak to you as if the first time. Paul is writing to a young preacher boy named Timothy. And he's encouraging him in his ministry and in the culture that he lived in. And he said this, but know this, and this is 2 Timothy chapter 3, but know this, That in the last days, and I think interestingly enough, in the Greek that translates, in these days of stress. Does that resonate with anyone? In these days of stress, um, know this, that these perilous times, these stressful times will come. Men will be lovers of themselves. They will be lovers of money. Boasters. um, Proud. Blasphemers disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And I believe, and I don't even have to stretch it and make it work, that pretty much describes the days that we live in. So how do we live in a culture as 
followers of Christ, how do we live in this kind of culture? Well, today we've got a two-part message, a very mini-series, and it's called Living in Sin City. And this morning, I want to talk about a very, very important topic. Jesus thought so, and certainly Paul thought so, that how are we going to impact this culture that we're living in? Now, we find our scripture this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 10. And tonight we'll be back again. And tonight we're, or this morning we're united behind the cross. And tonight it's simply entitled, We Ain't Gonna Quit. And that's 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And I will encourage you to come back tonight and hear another message from the Word of God about how do we live in this culture. And we have a vested interest. Again, once again, I keep saying this, I'm glad I'm 58 years old. Um, but some of you guys are like 20, 25 years old. Some of you have kids. And you have a, really a big vested interest in this because you are going to determine what you do with God is going to determine what kind of world that you finish growing up in and, and mature in and what kind of world your kids are going to grow up in. i got a vested interest because my grandkids. What kind of world are they going to grow up in? And I'm here to tell you right now that if we do the Word of God, if we follow the Word of God, we can make an impact on this culture. I'm certain that President Obama doesn't have a clue. And I'm reasonably certain that Mitt Romney didn't have a clue. The answer has got to be bigger than a Republican Party or Democratic Party. It has to be bigger than two men. And it is. And it is. So take your Bibles, please, and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 10. And we're not going to go all the way through the message. We're going to go most of the way through the message today. How do you live? How do you respond what is the answer in this culture according to the Word of God? Or at least part of the answer. Now, in verse number one, what I've done, by the way, and I kind of did this accidentally on purpose, you know. And, and what I did was today um, is I've, I've chosen like four translations. The first one we're going to use is the New Living Translation. If it, by the way, if you have a, a sermon sheet there in your bulletin, you'll find it's located on there, uh, the information there. Um, the second one we're going to use is the Holman Christian Standard. And actually, we won't use four because we're not going to go all the way through, I'm sure. And so the third one is going to be, the little part we're going to use is the King James Version. And the last one was going to be the NIV 84, the old uh, New International Version. We won't make all of that probably today, but we'll hit most of it. So, so here's Paul, and Paul is writing to a city in, in the Greek, Greece empire, or in Greece, called Corinth. Now, it's really good, because you might say, well, what would Paul say through the word of God in this culture we're living in? We don't have to guess, because Corinth would have been a perfect picture of American culture. In fact, you know, in Timothy, that was the kind of culture that young Pastor Timothy was pastoring in in those days. So, if you want to know what Paul would say, what would the Word of God say in this culture? We have a letter written to the church at Corinth, a very pagan culture. On they, they were they were a polytheistic society. They worshipped many gods. Sexual freedom was everywhere. It was just a whole lot like this culture we live in, called America. So here's what the Word of God says. Now, already you're going, oh, what, what would Paul say? What, what would Paul say to a pagan culture, uh, about a pagan culture like that? Well, here's what he says. He says in verse number uh, 10, two words. I'll stop and pause. I appeal. I appeal. So there's a sense of urgency. Whatever Paul is fixing to say is a very, very urgent matter. 
Whatever Paul is fixing to say, he, he says, this is big. Now, guys, you've got to get this point I'm trying to make right here. Because it'd be so easy to kind of go and blow this off today. Paul is saying, whatever's about to follow, this thing is huge, and I really need your attention. I really need for you to follow what I'm fixing to say. And it's really cool because Jesus felt the same way. Jesus felt the same way. What Paul is fixing to talk about, of all things, is unity in the body of Christ. I, I think about John chapter 17. Jesus is a few hours from Pilate's hall. Jesus is a few hours away from being scourged. Jesus is a few hours away from the Garden of Gethsemane. In fact, some people believe he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. And as he's praying these final thoughts, as he's, as he's talking to his father about the things, now listen, the things that's the most important to him, one of the things he prayed about and said is this. I pray not only for those, or these, talking about his followers, but also for those who believe in me through their message. So Jesus has spent some time, and he's praying for the ones that are with him right there, the, the followers that were physically with Jesus that day. But then Jesus looked in the future. He looked somewhere beyond that, and he looked up to 2012. He looked into the American culture that we live in. He, he looked into the body of Christ that we find ourselves seated in today as a part of. And he says, I know he prayed for these ones that are following me, but I'm going to pray for the ones in 2012 who are going to be present in a day in September at the Doorsville Baptist Church hearing a message about how to live in culture. And, and here is his final prayer, and here's what he says. May they all be one. As you, Father, are in me and am in you. May they also be one in us. Wow. His final thoughts. The final big prayer. You know what he prays? He prays that the body of Christ would be one like he and the Father are one. Because Jesus Christ knew the power of unity. He knew the power of a unified front. He knew what could happen when a bunch of people who believed in Him decided the only thing that mattered was Jesus. And in finding that, He knew that we could reach the world. Because He finishes that statement by saying this, So the world may believe you sent me. Isn't that incredible? Jesus didn't say, Lord, let them wear their, 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 the right clothes to church. Let them read the right translation. Let them listen to the right kind of music. Let them not do this and, and do do that. Watch this happen. Watch that. He didn't say any of that. He said, what is going to be a jaw-dropping witness to this world is that we're one in Christ. Now, folks, that's powerful. How can we make a difference in America? One is when the church has revival and that involves confession of sin and repentance of sin. And when we confess sin and repent of sin, we're going to get one in the body of Christ and we're going to be a unified front and a unified front 
empowered by the Holy Spirit of God and believe in Jesus Christ can change America. But we've got to believe that. We've got to understand that. And we've got to grasp that. So Paul senses this urgency. And he says, most assuredly, I just, I appeal, I beg, I beseech, depending on what translation you have. Dear brothers and sisters, there's the who. He's talking to the church in a pagan culture like America. By the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I have authority here. I'm an authority that I'm going to use. First, I appeal to our Lord. The word Lord means master. It means boss. It means king. Church, we've got to understand there's a reason why we ought to follow Jesus Christ. He is the king of kings. And he is the Lord of lords. He's the boss. Come on now. Come on. I dare you all here to clap. Y'all never clap. I dare you to clap. I dare you to clap. He's the boss. I'm not the boss. The deacons ain't the boss. The Southern Baptist Convention ain't the boss. The Pope ain't the boss. The bishop ain't the boss. Jesus Christ is the boss. I beseech you, the Lord. I beseech also to Jesus. Jesus, Savior. Redeemer. He says you ought to obey. You ought to do what I'm fixing to say because He's the King. But if that don't move you, let me take you back to a bloody old rugged cross. You remember it not to. You've heard about it. You and Corinth may have heard about the bloody cross. The ones that were physically following Jerusalem saw the bloody cross. We, we look back 2,100 years to a bloody cross. I want to take you back, Paul would say, to a bloody cross where the Son of God became sin that we might become the righteous of God. I, I want to appeal. Listen, if, if legal doesn't get it, let me take you to your moral obligation. You want to hear what I'm fixing to say because I'm speaking it in the name of the man who died for you. Now listen, you're not going to hell if you know Jesus. Now you may not have your pink Cadillacs and you may not have your big old mansions and your body may hurt a little more than you wish, but honey, if you know Jesus, you ain't going to hell and that's worth a whole lot. Worth a whole bunch. Yo, listen, church, we just got to get on the faith. My life is so hard. God ain't been good to me. Goodness gracious, people, you're not going to hell. That's enough. Get over it. Get over it. Redeemer. Redeemer. Blood-bought, blood-washed by the blood. I appeal to you because He's the King. I appeal to you because He's Redeemer. He's the Messiah. He's Emmanuel. He's God. Now, on that authority, on the authority of Jesus as King, as, as the authority of Jesus as Redeemer, as the authority of Jesus as God, here it is. I appeal to you to live in harmony with each other. To, to live in harmony with one another. Now, he, he doesn't say that. He doesn't say that so we'll all be robots. 
I like the fact that the, the New Living used the word harmony. You know, when the choir sings, they can sing something in unison. Or when you sing, you can see something in unison. And that sounds all right. But is it not more beautiful when you have three, four, five part harmony coming together? Am I right? See, that's what's beautiful. See, God doesn't say that, that, that you've got to be, all got to be this way. But He says that we've got to live in harmony. Now, there's some, listen, there's some things y'all just got to nail down. If you're still wrestling that if Jesus was God in the flesh, you need to nail that thing down. He was. If some of you are wrestling here today that if, did God really cause a 14 or 15 year old girl to get pregnant without a man? Was Jesus really virgin born? You just need to nail that down. He was. If you're still wrestling with Jesus was a literal man who walked this earth and was sinless and perfect, you need to nail that down because he was. If you're still wrestling with Jesus Christ, the only way... I mean, come on, in the room for Mohammed, there's no room for Mohammed. Come on now. I said there's no room for Mohammed. Jesus is the way, the truth. You need to nail that down. If you're still wondering, did he really rise on the third day? Honey, he did. He did. And if you're really wondering if he's coming back, hang on. You may get to see the show. <laughs> you may get to see the show. These are last days. These are latter times. So he's saying, I appeal to you on this. I, I appeal to you because he's the Jesus. Live in harmony. Now, that doesn't mean we all got to agree on the little nit noise of life. You know, some of y'all will never agree that, that this kind of music is good and this kind of music is bad. You'll never agree on that. Some of y'all will always go and say, you know what? This translation or that translation, that's fine. He didn't make us robots. But He did forgive us and we are redeemed. And there are certain things that we can identify with and unify on. And they center around Jesus Christ. He says, live in harmony. He says, let there be no Fractions, no, no fractures in the church. Rather be of one mind. One mind. Have you ever wondered what that one mind looks like? One of the most beautiful scriptures. Listen to this. And this is Philippians 2. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Paul says, now this is the mindset. This is the mindset that you're going to have. It's the same mindset. Of, and listen, if you're not a follower of God, if you're not a Jesus follower, then just you can tune out for just a minute. I'm talking to you about followers of Jesus. If you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, come on now. If you've been born again, if you've been transformed by the renewing power of Jesus Christ, then Paul says you've got to have the mindset... Of Jesus Christ. And here's what it looks like. Who being in the form of God. Did not consider it robbery. Or an inequality. To be equal with God. But he made himself of no reputation. He didn't leverage his God part. Taking the form of a bond servant. And coming in the likeness of men. Paul said, here's our Savior, and he could have leveraged the fact that he was God, but he chose not to. He said, instead, what I'm going to do is, I'm going to wash people's feet. Did he? 
Yeah. Yeah. One day he took his in, in the night Thursday night before Friday, he took his robe off, and all the boys came in and sat down, and they looked around and said, well, "Who's doing the foot washing tonight?" These had a bond serving. You know, the lowest, the lowest guy on the totem pole usually washed the feet. And it wouldn't be any of the 11 or 12. It, it would have been someone else. They'd have hired a servant to come in. And someone forgot to call the servant. No, they didn't. No, Jesus was on call that night. And the Son of God. And the Creator of the universe. The one who holds, according to Paul in Philippians, the one who holds the world together. Are you getting the picture? Takes his robe off and starts washing the feet of mortal men. Now, I am not preaching we need to wash feet. But Paul did say we need to have that attitude. We've got to have that attitude. Our mindset has got to be one like that. He goes on and says this, And being found in appearance of the man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. This was the death of criminals. This was the death of criminals. We don't like to think about it, but we're almost certain that Jesus hung naked on the cross. There was no loincloth, most likely. And there was a stigma of the cross. The Word of God says, Cursed is He! Cursed is He who dies on the tree or on the cross. And yet Jesus humbled Himself and became obedient to the stigma, to the shame, to the pain of the cross. Now look at me. That is the mindset that God's Word says we are to have. I'm going to ask you a question. Is that our mindset? Is that... And by the way, if I was at First Baptist Church this morning, I would say to them, is that your mindset? If I was at McKinley Avenue Baptist Church, I would say, is that your mindset? If I was preaching at Bankston Fort today, or the First Assembly of God, or the Church of the Nazarene, or Little Chapel Church, or Equality Christian Center, or Crossroads Church, I would ask you that question, is that your mindset? If we want to see America change, we have got to be like Christ. It's so easy to hang signs in our yard, and I'm not against signs in our yard. It's so easy to proclaim special days. Let me just, just suggest something to you. If we want America change, let's stop doing signs and let's stop proclaiming special days and let's just be like Christ. We might see the culture change. He says, let there be one thought and one purpose. There's one plan, one one motivation and one purpose. If you go to Dorisville... You've heard this. If you're here for the first time, you may not have heard this. But there's one purpose for the church. All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. That was a memory verse, wasn't it? And who said that, Brent? Jesus said that. And here was what we call the Great Commission. Here is the purpose of the church. 
the purpose of the church. I want you to go. And I want you to make disciples. I want you to baptize them as a step of obedience in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then I want you to teach them all things whatsoever I have commanded you. I want you to disciple them. That is the purpose of the church. Lead people to Jesus. Take, lead them in the first step of obedience and identifying with Jesus Christ and discipling the ones who follow Christ. That is the purpose of the church. And, and when Jesus said, let them be one, that's exactly what he was saying. When Paul was saying, be of one mind, one thought, and one purpose, that's what he was saying. Now, it just wasn't true in Corinth. Because if you look down in verse number 11, it says this. Now, it's been reported. And by the way, y'all think you, you think the community knows what goes on in the churches? I said, I said, I said, do y'all think the church, the world knows what goes on in the church? Yeah, some of it's called inside reporting. Y'all talk about at McDonald's what happened on Sunday and it's not how good God was. And then you tell your friends and your friends tell your friends. But, but of course, in a small town like Harrisburg, you let something go on the church and it's national news pretty quick. Can I have an amen? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So, so don't be surprised when Paul said, now it's been reported, because it will get reported. It's been reported to me about you, my brothers, by members of Cleo's household. Now, we're not sure if they were members of the Church of Corinth or not. We're just not sure. That there is rivalry, there's strife, there's division among you. Now, what am I saying is this. Each of you says this. I'm with Paul, I'm with Apollos, I'm with Cephas, or I'm with Christ. So, so there, was, there was leader wars in the church of Corinth. There's a group of people who said, Now you, y'all, y'all who follow somebody else, we, we Paul followers, we got it together. And then there's another group that followed Apollos. Now Apollos was another biblical teacher, and they said, Oh, no, 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 no. If you follow Paul, you're less than us. Apollos is the right teacher. And then there was a group of people who said, no, 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 no. We follow Peter. Cephas. The stone. We follow Peter. And then there was a group who said, well, we're obviously more elite than you are because we, we don't follow any man. No man's going to tell us what to do. We're going to be Jesus followers. Which sounds good if it had the right heart. So Paul says... There, there's reported in you that your church is fragmented. Your church is broken up over the leadership. Now, we don't have leadership wars. But we have worship wars. Which I think is so ironic. Worship wars. Now, again, if you're visiting here, you need to know this. And I, I don't mean this. Dorisville is one of the sweetest churches you're going to meet. I kind of hate preaching a message like this. Because I really believe we're on the right track. But by God's grace, I'm determined... That will get more on the right track and stay on the right track. But there's, you know, there's worship wars in some churches. People battering because of what style of worship to use. There's translation wars in churches. You can't use this translation. You must use this translation. There's that. There's temperature wars. Not, no, no, no. I'm not talking about what the thermostat says. See, y'all thought wrong now. 
I'm thinking about more what goes on in the service. Some people say, that's a little bit charismatic for me. <laughs> I'm more traditional. Honey, you better check your Baptist history. There was some shouting going on in Dorisville Baptist Church about 65, 70 years ago. We, we weren't quite as cultured as you think we were. <laughs> that's temperature wars. There, there, there's been these kind of wars going on. Oh. Denominational wars. Kingdom building and not the kingdom, our kingdom. And see, what we don't understand is this. Did y'all know that Satan knows the Bible? He was listening that day when Jesus said, No kingdom divided against itself can stand but will fall to dissolution. No house divided can stand. And Satan said, that's it. I know how to make the church non-effective. We'll just get a whole bunch of people in their schisms and fractures going separate ways over things that will not matter in the scope of eternity, and they'll spend all their energy on that and not winning people to Jesus Christ. And it's a pretty good strategy. The latest one is over Calvinism. I'd seen your door walk up and say, is that really divisive? You have no idea the division that is being caused in, in the Southern Baptist Convention today over Calvinism. And I tell you, the devil dreams up these different things and it diverts the energy that God intended to go to winning people to Jesus Christ. And then he asks this question. He goes, well, is Christ divided? And the answer is no. He's not divided. Is he divided? No, he's not. And then, and then Paul goes in this dissertation about baptism. He goes, well, was it Paul who was crucified for you? Well, no. Or were you baptized in Paul's name? Uh, that would be a no. And then he goes really into detail. He goes, well, well, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius so that no one can say you were baptized in my name. I did, in fact... Uh, baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't know if I baptized anyone else. But then he gets it. Christ did not send me to baptize, but to evangelize. Now, he's not putting baptism down. He's just saying that this message is supreme. Baptism is an essential part of a person's testimony, not their salvation. But it's that first act of obedience. And it's that first identification that says, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. But Paul says that this message is even bigger than that. And we have got, we have got, we have got to understand that the cross, the Christ of the cross, the message of the cross is supreme, guys. Everything else pales to that. He goes on and says, For the preaching of the cross, the message of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but to us which are saved is the power of God. Now, you need to understand something. In American culture, to many people, 
What is precious to us is foolishness to them. To many in American culture, the concept and thought of God becoming man, becoming man, living a sinless life, and dying a sacrificial death on the cross similar to that one is foolishness. You've got to understand that. We get upset when people don't buy into the Ten Commandments. I'm going to preach next year on that. But the Ten Commandments were given to a covenant people called the people of God. When we got to understand that America is a pagan country, they're simply acting like lost people because a whole zillion of them are. That's what makes this message so powerful. America needs Jesus Christ. Would you say that with me, please? America needs Jesus Christ. It doesn't need the Baptists or the Nazarene or the non-denominationals. It needs Jesus Christ. And we are the light barriers. And we can't be carrying light if we're fussing over silly things that don't matter. I'm telling you, watch out, America. If the gospel-preaching churches in America, I'm going to word it that way, Get together on one front. Tracy, watch out. Because the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church of the Almighty God. Amen. 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 Now, to us, and this, we've got to keep this preeminent in our thought, to us, the cross is the power of God. And the reason why is we've experienced it. I love it when people say, well, that, that cross thing is just a crutch. It's just something y'all do to get whooped up emotionally. Well, I do sometimes get passionate and emotional. But I want to tell you something. With all my ounce of being, I know that God lives within me and has changed my life. I am not the same man. And no religion can do that. No religion. Think about you. If you know Jesus, you're, I think you'd almost say, if you truly know Jesus, you're not the same person. There's some things you used to do that you don't do anymore. And it wasn't because you, you were the little train that said, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. It's the power of God. And that's what the world's got to see. They've got to see. To help you understand, I, I hung this thing on the cross. This, this is from Mike Maynard's and Lucy Maynard's house. We've got to give that boy a pay raise. He can't afford a better life preserver than this. Y'all go buy some TVs or something. He needs the money. So there's a Sunday school party at, at their house. And, and I saw this hanging up. And this is a what? You know what this is? It's a life preserver. And I saw this hanging up, and I said to Michael, I said, Michael, I think it might be time for a new life preserver. From my outside perspective, that is just time for a new one. Now, there's a reason why it was hanging there, and I'll let him tell you why that's hanging there. It involves Mama, uh, and not Lucy, but his Mama. His Mama thought this was very precious, and so it was going to hang there. Now... To me, do y'all agree it kind of needs to be replaced? Lodema, do you think it needs a new one? It looks pretty bad, doesn't it? But let me ask you a question. What if 20 years ago, 
Michael was swimming in the pool. And he kind of lost things and was about to drown. And Lucy or one of his friends threw this preserver into the water. And Michael grabbed a hold of it, pulled his head up, and was able to get to the side of the pool. And this preserver kept him from drowning. Now, to me or you, we would say an old life preserver. But if that happened in Michael's life, he would tell you why that was still hanging up. He would say, one day... I was swimming. And I lost my footing. And I was about to go under. And I was about to drown. It was all over. We're going one. We're going two. But then someone threw me the life preserver. And I was able to hang on to that life preserver. And that life preserver saved me. And I'm here today. Because of that life preserver. Do you think you'd get the message that that was just a little more special to one who experienced the power of a life preserver than the one who didn't? Do you understand? We've got to help the world through the power of the Holy Spirit to see that they are in the pool. And they are drowning. And without Jesus Christ, they are going to die and go to hell. I don't care if it's popular or not popular. The truth is, there are two destinations. One is heaven and one is hell. And there are two kinds of people in the world. There are saved people, forgiven people, and unforgiven people. There are those who who experience forgiveness through the power of the cross and those who have not. And when you die, if you've accepted Christ and that precious gift, then you're going to heaven. And without it, you won't. I don't care if you're the nicest grandma in the world. I don't care what it is. Without Jesus, you won't make heaven. And there are a lot of people in our town who are lost. Are you understand why this is important now? There's a whole lot of people in our state who are lost. You understand why that's important? You understand why this unity thing is so important? There's a whole lot of people in America who are lost. And there's a whole lot of people in this world who are lost. And that's why your Savior said, Lord, please let them be one like we are one. That's why Paul said, I I appeal, I beg, I beseech you that there be harmony in the body. You know, gnats are irritating. If y'all know what gnats are, I was raised in the South. You know, and you're sitting there eating watermelon, and you got little black specks all over it, and it ain't the seeds. And you, you fan the watermelon, but you get a few in your mouth, but it's just extra protein. Listen, gnats are irritating. Come on now, hang with me. Gnats are irritating, but they, don't, they won't give you West Nile virus. Gnats are irritating, but they're not fatal. And a lot of the stuff that bug us in church, it may be irritating. I, I'll give you that. 
But it's not fatal. It's not fatal. So God don't want us to be robots. He just says, but we've got to keep focused on one thing. What matters is the cross. And what matters is there's a world out there who desperately needs Jesus. And what matters is, is they're looking at us. And when they see churches, they say, that's not the real deal. But when they see something so weird, like an African-American lady and a white guy hugging in church, when they, when they see older people and younger people worshiping together, when they see the guy who owns the, the biggest house in town talking to the guy that lives down in the apartment somewhere, when they get word that someone made somebody else mad, but they chose to forgive them, they go, what's up with that? Race isn't a barrier. Come on now. Social status is not a barrier. Gender is not a barrier. Age gender is not a barrier because our combinator, listen, the thing that holds us, to, holds us together is greater than the things that would tear us apart. And His name is Jesus Christ. His name is Jesus Christ. I'm done. The only reason it's all important is because the world takes note. And once again, I'm going to say this. If you're visiting today, this pastor and this staff believes that this is one incredible church. I'm not bragging. I'm just wanting you to know. In case you're thinking, well, what's going on in that church? There ain't a thing going on. But I know this. When there's a target out there, sometimes I'm fixing to take the shot. I'll wipe my eye just to get a clearer shot. Today's sermon is just helping you wipe your eyes. And get a clearer shot. And see that target out there. And that target is being Jesus to our town. And whatever it takes to get a clearer shot. Dear season's coming up. Whatever it takes to get that clear shot. That's what we want to do. That's what matters. Now would you bow your heads please. Our invitation today is it's about three things. And thank you again for your patience today. First is this. If you are here. Without Jesus Christ. If you've never experienced... If you're to die right now, and you know, Dwayne, I've never done the Jesus thing. He's not my Lord and King. Today. We would like to invite you to come down and see Brother Brent. I'll be down here somewhere. A couple of our friends will be here. And we want to show you what it means to come in a relationship with God. Through His Son, Jesus Christ. The Bible says everybody sinned. And the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We want you to know our best friend, Jesus. The invitation is this. I want you to do an honest examination of your life. Is there anything in your life that just is bugging you to the point where you're distracted from being the believer that Jesus wants you to be? It may be a relationship. It may be the music. It may be, I don't know what it be. You, you figure it out. Is there something that's bothering you so much? And you're saying, I'm distracted because of that. And acknowledge that distraction, whatever it is, and say, now oh, God, help me to focus. In spite of that distraction, help me to blow the gnats off and focus on what really matters. And that's eternity in Jesus. Some of you here today may have trusted Christ as Savior, but you've never yet been baptized. And again, it has nothing to do with your salvation, but it's that first identifying step. 
And we would love to have the privilege of talking about baptism, about what it means. And we'd be privileged and honored to baptize you. Let Brother Brent know that. And some of you today have been visiting with us and, and you're saying, you know what? This is the kind of fellowship I'd like to be a part of. And we'd like to welcome you today if you'd like to come. And we'd love to talk to you about entering our fellowship here at Dorsville Baptist Church. Every week, just so you know, if you're looking for the perfect church, we are not your choice. Every week, about 320, 30, 40, 50 people meet here and we're all sinners. But we're doing our best to fall radically in love with Jesus Christ and each other. And if that's the kind of church you're looking for, we'd love to talk to you about that. So, God, thank you for the privilege of sharing your word today. Father, I pray for our country. But, Father, I guess I'll pray for us. Because you are the answer and we are your median. You are the way and we are the ones who tell of the way. So may we be a unified body of believers. Father, if a friend here today does not know Jesus, would today be that day? If, Father, there's someone here today who has strife in their life, help them, Father, to confess that and turn from it. Father, if there's other decisions to be made, please have your way. And, Jesus, I pray this in your most precious and holy name. Amen.